Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning and um, happy holidays um, because it's the last week of Green Left Weekly Radio um, for this year. And um, in the studio we have Jacob and Zane in the studio. Good morning. Yeah. Okay. So uh, on the Green Left Weekly Radio today, um, we have quite a bit of a, a bit of a program. We have two. We have one interview planned. I think we have another one. Maybe we'll see if we can find, find someone. It. Yep. Um, just a bit. There's a bit of an issue, and I can bet not hear anything I'm saying into my headphones. But apparently, people can hear me on the air. Let's see. Switch over to them. Yes. All right. This is much better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we can actually get on with the program. This feels much less awkward. Keeping it raw on 3CR. Okay, so... Volunteer um, radio coming at you. Okay, so direct. before we get on with the program, I mean, for this program, it might be a good opportunity to kind of reflect on this year um, as it was. Um, we're going to close to the end of 2017 um, and quite a lot um, happened, And but also I think within... This past week, quite a lot of political developments happened. In fact, um, political activity is kind of like intensified and it doesn't seem like we can, activists can catch a break, especially with the number of events um, that are going to be happening in the next week or so before Christmas. Um, and uh, I'd like to acknowledge that um, FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from um, the wandry land of the Kulin Nation and that like to pay our respect to elders past and present and like to acknowledge that uh, this always was, um, always will be um, Aboriginal land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Indeed. All right. So um, what we want to start talking about is um, many listeners have probably heard of what's happening at um, WebDoc. Um, maybe to give a bit of background for the dispute because so much has been happening around this. Um, basically, the internet, this dispute is around basically after the Victorian International Container Terminal um, refused to give casual shifts to a union representative on the basis of a dis- um, disputed security process. Um, to give a bit more detail there, there's basically these kind of security cards that were introduced um to under the John in the John Howard era, and basically this particular worker didn't have um, such a card. But really, the aim of why this they're sacking this particular worker um, was because he was a unionist and was a union delegate. Um, and this is my understanding is that there's about twenty workers in that situation, and that when you don't have that card you can basically have a provisional thing where you keep working while you get that card supplied. Mm. Kind of like if you're working as a contractor and you're waiting for your 
details to be updated or you start a new job and you're waiting for your tax mm. form to be, you know, sent off or whatever. You don't have to wait for that to be. Mm. So it's the kind of, it's this little administrative bureaucratic thing which can be fixed on the run. Mm. You don't have to sack someone over it, yeah. is my understanding. Well, the, I, well, my argument is, the political argument is that they're deliberately sacking this yeah. worker because yeah. he's a union delegate, but yeah. they're making the argument because he didn't have this card, mm. despite the fact, as you said, he could have easily, they could have just, he could have gotten a provisional thing that would have allowed him to keep working. Mm. And this also comes just as, in the process as the company is attempting to negotiate a substandard um, enterprise agreement that the MUA would not agree to. So that's basically what where things are kind of at. That's kind of the background to dispute. And then, you know, it's a bit more background information is, consequently, um, as it's written here in Green Left Weekly, um, RE-ICT, which is, is represented by for, um, former... MUA Deputy National Secretary Mick O'Leary and former Labor MP Lindsay Tanner um, then reached an agreement with five supervisors for a non-union agreement. Um, They locked out the broader workforce and union representatives from the negotiation and this escalated to the sacking and blacklisting of the MUA representative. And, of course, now O'Leary, who's a total scab... Mm. um, What a turncoat. And is now the human resources manager for VICT. Ooh. So he's basically overseeing this whole, you know, mm. ter- disgusting anti-union mm. kind of... And using his inside knowledge of how the union works and how the docks are organised against the workers. Yeah. That's disgraceful. So there, that's the kind of... So now what's happened, obviously, from there is there's been a picket line, um, a community assembly, which has blocked... Um, basically blocked the ports from, you know, operating. Mm. Um, and it's been going on for like the past two weeks. Now, since then, we had a massive protest last Friday where, you know, all the unions were in full attendance. Um, some of the unions that were supporting included the HACSU, Victorian Allied Health Professionals, the CFMU, the Australian Services Union, Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, the United Firefighters Union, and United Voice, and of course MUA, which is you know the main union kind of leading this. And, um, uh, I understand ACTU Secretary Sally McManus was there too. Yeah, so she also spoke at that rally. Um, oh, cool. And one of the, uh, I guess one of the things is she kind of you know following on from that and going in line with kind of some of the stuff that Sally McManus has said on, you know, how broken the rules are. Um, on December 10th, because of the kind of level of organisation that, you know, the unions were putting behind this web doc um, picket, um, on December 10, um, Luke Hirokari, who is the, you know, Trades Hall um, Secretary, um, based, Victorian Trades Hall Secretary, was basically served with court orders at his home and... Basically, on a Saturday, yes. Well, why? And now, why? And now, it is just straight up intimidation. There is no need to serve that stuff mm. on a on a weekend. Yeah. And what's happened next from there is is um, essentially the CFMU and the MUA have been inducted. Um, so injunctured. Now, injunctured. Is that what's the word? Injuncted. Injuncted. Mm. Yeah, sorry for my pronunciation there. <laughs> yeah. um, they're ba- they're ba- which basically means this commu- this picket, they're not allowed within 100 metres or a sound 
of of where this um, community assembly is happening. So now it's essentially being made illegal for you know the unions to put any resources into supporting this picket, mm. and now it's going basically gone to the community to support it. And and what you were saying before is that one of the arguments, my understanding that one of the arguments made in that uh, court case as part of that injunction is that the because the picket was well organized yeah. this was part of the reason for there being an injunction served against it yeah what, is, what how does that work so it's like if you go on strike and you're ineffective and disorganized that's okay yes but if you go on strike and you are doing it properly and you're on strike in a unified way together well, that's not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> how does that work? It's it's quite ridiculous actually, but it when also it also shows how backwards our union laws are and how mm. we actually don't really necessarily um, have rights. Um, and I saw a post from Luke Hilakari saying that is unprecedented that the head of Vic Trades Hall would be served with an injunction regarding some industrial action that is happening by a member union or or unions. Uh, plural that are part of Vic Trades Hall. Mm. Uh, this this whole thing of the courts getting involved and, you know, injuncting unions, injuncting union leaders and saying this strike is not allowed, that's that's very I mean, there's there's been different restrictions on strikes over the decades, mm. but this thing of directly attacking targeting an individual um, from from Vic Trades Hall that's that's a new development. Hmm. Well, now this is um a bit of a report back from um from uh, the latest Green Left Weekly article on this whole web docs of you, which basically goes and talks about the kind of growing support for the picket hmm. um, following all this. Um, so clearly, um, as I um, stated before, the Victorian Supreme Court has basically determined that the MUA, the CFMU, and Victoria Trades Hall Council um, Secretary Luke Hilakari must stay 100 metres from the site and allow free passage to, support, um, to the port, um, which is basically the court is basically declaring that, you know, the workers should just stop the picket line and then allow free passage to the port. Um, but in response to that, um, there's clearly growing community support and the unions aren't going to take this. Um, at a, um, at a, you know, at, at the annual Geelong Trades Hall Presidents' Night on December 12, a solidarity motion with the Community Assembly was carried anonymously. So the 100-strong gathering agreed to mobilise the community on New Year's Day. So if, the, if this picket goes until New Year's Day, Geelong Trades Hall is going to become behind and support that. And um, what thing, other things have kind of happened from this is there's been a bit of a roster being organised um, with, you know, with different um, community members and activists, um, you know, occupy, um, um, occupying the, the picket line, keeping it running and functioning. Um, so we encourage, encourage all our listeners, if you're able to visit, to come along to um, 78, I think it's Web Doc. Web Doc Drive. Web Doc Drive on, in Port Melbourne. Um, you, can easy, you can get there by bus um if you take a bus from lonsdale street from garden city um though i imagine there'll be like a 
there'll be like a 13-minute walk between the bus stops. I thought you were going to say the huge queues for the buses because <laughs> everyone's heading down to support the picket. Well, let's hope that's the case. Yeah. Um, and But you can also get there by bike or drive. So, But, yeah, it's located in Port Melbourne, um, just sort of at the end of the port where the ports are. Um, mm. But, yeah, there's always... There's always people there. Um, it would be great to give you support and, you know, you can make in contact with um, the community members who are, you know, mobilising and helping organise and, you know, play a role in helping being part of the organising of getting people there. Hmm. Um, but on positive thing yesterday happened, um, despite this sort of court in, injunction, um, basically the MUA, you know, kind of broke it and the MUA officials went and just went and dressed the whole picket and, you know, got a lot of excitement and said that basically, you know, basically said that we're going to fight this. We're not going to let, you know, bad laws stop us from mobilizing and organizing uh, mm. uh, on this site. Um, and so, you know, it's this is kind of like, as a as this kind of article concludes, is you know this is a ex- other example of how of how workplace laws that are rigged against working people, big port corporations wield far too much power, and every day it gets harder and harder for normal working people to stand up for a fair go. Um, the rules are broken and need to be changed. Together, working people will change them. So that's kind of the quote kind of ended there. Um, but yeah, definitely encourage all listeners to support the the picket line. Um, and get as many of your friends and um, supporters down there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, Zane, you have any kind of news you wanted to share before I move on to another news story? Um, I reckon we're going to get some more info from um, uh, Gab to read out about this on the screen at some point, but just as a general sort of um, introduction, we may say a bit more about this later on, uh, part of the new metro tunnel that's being built in the city, the new rail line, um, they've kind of ch- they've modified the route of it a bit to include Campbell Arcade, which was right near Flinders uh, Street Station. The problem is, Campbell Arcade is home to um, uh, some small businesses, and it's also home to. Sticky uh, Zine Institute, or Sticky Institute, who, who do zines and artwork. So it's a cool grassroots kind of space. They have some subsidised space there to make their art, and pretty much they're looking at they're looking down the barrel of being booted out because Campbell Arcade would become a Mikey only space. Um, yeah, who who knows what will be done with the stalls in there? But it looks like they're going to get. Uh, booted and no longer be a place that's accessible to the general public. So uh, submissions against um, doing this to Campbell um, Arcade and making it a MyKey only space are due today. Yep. So if you go to the Green Left Radio Facebook page, there's more info there. Yeah. So to clarify there, this you mean by MyKey only space because they're building like a, a train station there. It's basically what that's, that space that was there before is basically going to only be accessible through Mikey checkpoints. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of like swallowed up as part of the network of little corridors linking Flinders Street Station to the new station is, is my understanding of things. Mm. Okay. Um, now, I guess I wanted to talk about um, just a recent kind of election result in um, the United States um, in Alabama. 
um, which is like a sort of state Senate kind of seat equivalent to. Um, so basically, there was a um, it was a bit of a close tie between um, the Democrat um, candidate Doug Jones and um, the Republican candidate um, Roy Moore. And now, here's one of the more crazy things um, for those for listeners who though listeners have probably heard a lot about this in the media. Um, Roy Moore was actually um, he's actually. <laughs> like a you know quite openly quite racist um but in addition to that he has actually admitted to sexually harassing teenagers um and so there was this very scary thought um you know coming ahead to this um election um where that he could have potentially been elected in a, a position of power um he managed to lose the vote um but um to the democrat Doug Jones but only by 1% um, and but I guess the significant thing for this is this is a typical uh, a Republican seat like a it's equivalent like to a, like a safe seat. Or... Yeah, it's mm. basically a South Republican seat. Um, it's in one of the southern states, which is a slave owning states for a bit of historical background. Um, and the fact that a Democrat, I mean, you know, we have no illusions in the Democrats as a party. But the fact that a Democrat um, was able to win over Roy Moore um, is quite significant and really kind of go it's nearly, you know, demonstrates how unpopular Donald Trump is. Of course, there's all the, also the fact that the fact is Roy Moore um, was also probably also hit by the fact that he is basically a pedophile. Um, but the, it's also a bit depressing um, that he got such a high rote to begin with. Um, but the fact that he lost is a positive thing, and um, it'll be in- um, it'll be interesting to see what um, happens next. Um, I heard some political implications coming out of this. Is there is a push in the United States for this whole net neutrality business, basically to give the internet um, to control um, control or bring the control of the internet away from the community um, and bring it in closer to corporations. So, for example. If net neutrality were to pass, it would basically allow corporations um, to create like a tiered process for um, for the internet. Like basically, imagine imagine if you how the internet imagine the internet if you basically had to pay more to access certain sites. Mm. Um, that is basically what what where net neutrality is looking for um, looking towards, but. Um, implication with this Democrat winning is that it's potentially less likely to be implemented or voted on. Okay. Because um, it gives the Republicans a smaller margin in the Senate? Yes, um, to be able to get this to pass. So that's mm. one prog- um, positive thing that's coming out of this. And what from the analysis I read, the uh, the vote of, of black people and black women in particular was, was crucial in uh, securing the election for Doug Jones over Roy Moore, uh, I think it was a. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at some statistics here. Um, 74% of white men voted for uh, the Republican Roy Moore. Uh, 65% of white women voted for Roy Moore. 92% of black men voted for Doug Jones, the Democrat candidate, and 97% of black women voted for Doug Jones. So, mm. like, 
this was really something where um, people of colour literally stopped this scummy Roy Moore from getting re-elected mm. and, uh, yeah, made this historic kind of uh, election shift here. Yeah, yeah, that is um, quite significant, I think. And it's actually one of the... Well, this is... I might be wrong, but this is kind of my general kind of political viewpoint on elections in the United States. But in the context of, you know, outright kind of racism um, and, and you know, it, I would argue that reasonably if we had... If the US election, election system, uh, electoral system was fair... Um, and it allowed, you know, the best possible opportunity for people of all races, etc., to be able to vote. I can't imagine that the Republicans would be able to, you know, would be able to get in power because, because that's based on the fact that, you know, people of colour, you know, typically always vote for the Democrats over the Republicans. Um, they may, they might be a very small, tiny minority within that, but they would always vote Democrats. Um, and that's and it's sort of like and what you find is you know some of the analysis of past presidential elections you find that presidents like George W. Bush and now Donald Trump you actually had a very low turnout of voters um, and then you have to also examine ask the question you know in a lot of area um, a lot of areas of the United States and the majority black. Um, you actually find that there's actually lots of attempts to of voter suppression. Like, for example, you have situations where a vote, a polling booth, is like one hour from mm. where you live, or it or it's closed, or it doesn't work, or etc. Um, those kind of messy protests, and it, and it is racially driven. I'm showing my age here, but I remember back when um, George W. Bush was elected. When was that? Was that 2000? I think. Um, the voter rolls were, there was a rule implemented that said if you um, are a felon, well, this, this rule is actually um, still still in place from what I understand. If you've ever been in jail, if you've ever been, for example, arbitrarily locked up by the racist US scummy police force, you for the rest of your life, you're no longer eligible to vote. And in that particular election in 2000, not only was that rule in place, but in, in thousands and thousands and thousands of cases, if you simply had the same surname as someone who had been arrested, you would be arbitrarily knocked off the electoral roll and stopped from voting. So, mm. yeah, this, this, I, I, I agree. There's evidence of a lot of suppression and, and rorting to prevent people of, of colour voting in the US. And I think if the US had something a bit more like a European multi-party proportional representation kind of system, you would see more enfranchisement of um, people of colour, as you say, and less of this phenomena where people are like, oh, I don't want to vote for either of this duopoly of liberal uh, of Democrat and Republican uh, so I'm just not going to vote. I think if you had proportional representation, um, you'd have more of a voice for people of colour in the US Parliament and consequently more people would consistently turn out to vote because you know, you'd, you'd, you'd get more of a say, you'd get more of a party representing your views in the Parliament, not just these two crappy old 
racist capitalist parties. Mm. Yeah, I think that's um, all true. And um, there's always attempts, I mean, there's always attempts to implement things like preferential voting. But, of course, none of the the two major parties would want to agree to it because they Mm. know that their interests would be threatened. Mm. As here, with, with, you know, the Greens getting, you know, 9 10% of the vote nationally in the lower house and they've got one seat out of 150 to show for it. It's a joke. Mm. You can have your criticisms of the Greens as a party or whatever, but the fact is they should have something around 15 seats in the lower house and they've got one. All right, um, so... We're going to be, we might be having an interview in 10 minutes, but we're not sure yet. Um, in, we're also at 8.10, we have an interview booked with um, someone to talk about um, the Save Queen Victoria Markets campaign. Um, I guess one thing, maybe because this is our last show, I thought it might be actually worth, um, in the, this is in the la- last Green Left Weekly issue. Um, it's basically about um, the Fighting Fund 2017 appeal. You know, you know, talking about it's a bit of a reflection on the year ahead, and it's written by Peter Boyle, one of the Green Left Weekly writers, saying that you know, other year will be over, um, and then Green Left Weekly will be taking a short break from the so many volunteers who you know worked hard hard to um, to keep our project going to have a little can have a little holiday. Um, it's a bit of a thank you to all the regular readers and subscribers and all the people who kindly contributed to keep this project alive. And our radio program, Green Left Weekly Radio, is very much part of the, the Green Left Weekly project. And, of course, as um, Peter writes here, the values, ideas and vision that Green Left Weekly promotes uh, and NEFA to the rich and powerful and their agents. You know, just last week... Um, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull made another attack on on the push for renewable energy, you know, basically saying, are we seriously going to de-industrialise Australia because of some green left um, ideological crusade for wind farms and solar panels? It's good that he's given green left a plug, but it's um, unfortunate that he's taking this completely, you know, knowingly and wantonly dishonest line about de-industrialisation, which is just rubbish. Yeah, well, it's it's all part of this, you know, um, this kind of agenda of you know caving into the interests of big business and the fossil fuel industry. Hmm. It's weird though because they're even to the right of sections of the fossil fuel industry themselves. So, like for instance, AGL have said they're going to shut down the Liddell power plant up in New South Wales, and the government came out and said, "No, no, we want to give you some money to keep that going." And then AGL came out and said no, we're shutting the power station. So it's like, it's it's not like they're just being a voice for fossil capitalists. They're even trying to tell the fossil capitalists how to play this and what to do, uh, and, and which is to say maximum fossil fuels, keep it keep it coming, keep it burning. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, um, being our last show for the year, it's also a good time, you know, to think about, you know, about this political year in terms of like, you know, what what do you think were kind of like some of the highlights saying of this political year? Uh, I don't know. Well, I think that I think the probably main. I think the main thing was probably um, the marriage equality win. Ah, uh, that was fantastic, wasn't it? Going to trades hall. Uh, for that street party that night of of the yes vote being announced. It was just 
such a good atmosphere there. What a what a special night. You know, it's um there's still a lot to do to to fight for um you know, LGBTIQ equality. Um but we interviewed Farida Iqbal about this and she made this really good point. Okay, marriage equality is important, but what's more significant is the shift in social attitudes, the huge shift in social attitudes that is represented by this um, vote getting up. So, yeah, that was that was amazing. And um, I guess the other, kind of some of the other highlights is, you know, the resistance um, against the injustice of the world, you know, still continues. Um, you know, there's the Stop Adani, you know, campaign is still going along. Mm. Um, we saw probably the biggest escalation around the refugee rights campaign. You know, we had we had a lot of protests in like this past month, mm. um, lots of different direct actions and people coming together to resist. Um, the you know the cruel and um, de- um, refugee you know policy of ind- indefinite detention on offshore processing camps, mm. um, and we also you know got to see um, in the United States you know the resistance against Trump you know still continues. Um, in fact, going back to that you know dem- that victory of um, of the Democrats over the Republicans is part you know is part of that story of you know people resisting. The agenda of Donald Trump, hmm. um, and then we've also seen, um, you know, we've also seen a few worker struggles with some victories. For example, the AMWU Streets um, Streets campaign, where the, they, they successfully won their conditions. Yeah, and the Carlton campaign. Oh, that was last year. Yeah, but it's it's in the recent past. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, there's always there was there's always some um, depressing stories in the midst of this. I mean, I mean, the reason I think of that Carlton Breweries campaign when you talk about streets is I think the streets campaign followed the the kind of template of the boycotts Carlton campaign, and uh, immediately we started seeing some of the similar kind of images of boycott streets. It, it was reminiscent of the. Boycott Carlton campaign, and of course the AMWU, who were instrumental in that campaign um, to to get the jobs back for the Carlton workers, uh, they were running the streets campaign as well. So, yeah, I think it's it's good. It shows you get a win in one area, and those lessons can be carried into the struggle in in other areas. Yeah, and um, one of the messages um, from Green Left Weekly, and in, and in one of the final Common Cause column is, you know. What we're kind of, you know, working towards and, you know, our program is very much part of this kind of agenda of, you know, make capitalism history. And, you know, Alex Bainbridge here writes here, when re-owned eco-socialist Ian Angus came to, you know, Australia, um, to Australia in 2011, he observed, you know, that for most people it is easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism. And then he unfortunately says, unfortunately, imagining the end of the world is getting easier. There are report, uh, almost daily reports of the accumulating effects of climate change. Mm. Um, there's a need for urgent action, which was highlighted in a June core for a six-point plan to turn over the tide in carbon emissions over the next three years. And, of course, the plan cited an April report by a range of respected climate research institutions that said the temperature goal set in Paris will become an almost unattainable if emissions continue to rise beyond 2020 or even remain level. 
Um, mm. Such calls for urgent action are not new. Um, David Suzuki at the time the time said the 1990s had to be the turnaround decade. Many campaigners claimed that the ultimately failed 2009 Copenhagen climate talks were the last chance for meaningful climate action. And of course, it is easier to um, easy to become paralysed into inaction when the last chance calls for urgent action come and go. And by most measures, things such as emissions increase. Um, it continues to get worse. Mm. Um, but of course, you know, Alex writes here that, you know, all this kind of stuff is, you know, generally not an accident and, you know, it is a fundamental and inevitable feature of the capitalist system that protects, um, protects corporate in- profitability above all else. And fortunately, there is an alternative and, you know, that involves, you know, a form of democratic socialism and a realistic plan to achieve it. The, the plan involves organising today to win victories against capitalist injustice, such as, you know, stopping Adani, Iraq Rape Manus, while at the same time pointing towards a new society based on human solidarity and, and social justice. And, of course, the people, the political and economic, he write, concludes here that the political and economic power of big corporations has to be defeated and replaced by the democratic and popular power of the 9%. Um, such plan is, is not an optional extra. We need to organise it for today. Ending capitalism is an imperative if we are to prevent the end of the world. And that's sort of the kind of message we sort of want to sort of give mm. to listeners in our kind of last show. And our program is very much part of like, you know, building building the case for an alternative to capitalism. Um, we do it through, you know, giving voices to the different people-powered struggles that are, you know, happening all around Australia and even internationally. Um it's, you know, through delivering the kind of latest news from, you know, giving, a, you know, activists kind of perspective on the news instead of the, you know, the interests, of, instead of catering to the interests of the big business and the corporations. Hmm. And you spoke about, um, yeah, some of our highlights for the year. And actually, you know, what's what's a real highlight for me that comes to mind is I went to the Stop Adani Roadshow down at uh, Melbourne Exhibition Centre and... Um, Vaishali Patil from Maharashtra province in India was there and one of the arguments that's been advanced about the coal industry in general and specifically about Adani is we need more coal to help uh, Indian people and Chinese people get out of poverty and get developed. Um, Not only is that rubbish because renewables are actually better suited to that task of electrifying um, areas that don't currently have electricity and it's it's cheaper, it's more ecologically friendly. Uh, but climate change is going to smash India and China. As the Himalaya melts, there's going to be really serious flooding followed by really serious droughts. So the idea that coal is good for poor people in China and India is just garbage. But this was underscored by Vaishali Patil from Maharashtra province who was so articulate and spoke really well and she talked about local campaigns in India against Adani's massive coal-fired power stations there and the coal mines that feed them which destroy farmland, destroy um, the land that small farmers and peasants rely on for their um, livelihoods and the the fallout from the mines, both in terms of the slurry and the ash and the salty kind of brine water that gets pumped out into the water, that, that destroys rivers and 
parts of the coast that, that fisher folk rely on. Uh, and to see photos of some of the massive protests that they have over there in India against the coal industry is really inspiring. And, and sometimes you can, um, I don't know, you wonder, uh, we've got these protests happening here and I heard about this protest up in, you know, in Queensland against Adani, but is everyone else still protesting? And then you, you see a speaker like Vashali and you see photos of these huge protests in India and it's like, yeah, just because you don't see photos or coverage of this every day on your social media feed doesn't mean it's not happening. This is a real global movement, and it's ticking away mm. every single day. Yeah. Actually, now um, I just thought of this other highlight from the year. I mean, one of the other highlights was um, the UK election in June, and I think it was June or July, around that period where, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, um, you know, a socialist leader of the the Labor Party, um, you know, basically got the highest vote that, that for the Labor Party. He didn't win the election, but basically got a significantly incre- mm. huge increase to the vote. The unelectable, his. the so-called unelectable Jeremy Corbyn, who came within a whisker of winning, mm. and um, from a huge margin behind. And, and uh, yeah, we had like we had a, a so, um, activist direct from the UK um, who did, you know, we here we did an interview to talk about you know the exciting Corbyn phenomena, which I think you know it's. And, you know, the fight is actually still going on in the UK. Um, there's currently some, you know, stuff happening around this whole Brexit kind of debate. Um, we've basically, um, the Tories are trying to push for this kind of hard Brexit kind of line. Um, whereas, you know, the, um, the Labour Party under the Corbyn leadership um, is, you know, trying to implement, uh, is obviously going for a more progressive alternative to uh, is obviously going for a more progressive alternative. And, of course, there is the possibility because of, you know, Theresa May's kind of coalition with the DUP, you know, that their government could fall at any second and there could be another election called within next year, for example, again, um, which could lead to a Corbyn victory. I mean, the, the polls actually state that um, the support for Corbyn is increasing and, you know, if there were an election held today... Um, Corbyn would win. Word. Yeah. And so um, that's that's probably one of the more exciting um, political developments. I mean, it's the first time I've actually had any enthusiasm for an election in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't remember ever. Like, I remember when uh, the first election when, um, I think when well, that was between Dave... David Cameron and Ed Miliband. I'd even actually look at the results. Yeah. Where I was, I was actually during that UK election. I was constantly refreshing the results and looking at all the electorates and so on. And mm. I don't even live in the UK, so that speaks to the kind of the excitement um, that and a definite kind of highlight of the year. Now, I don't mean to drag the mood down, yeah. <laughs> but uh, another political development that's happened this week, and which was very much not a highlight, but a disappointment for me is that uh, this week on the on Tuesday night, the 12th of December, the Labor-controlled uh, council in Newcastle voted to allow development on the rail corridor there, which is really uh, disappointing and it's a real uh, indictment on the Labor Party up in Newcastle. Uh, there's been a campaign for something like 27 years to stop the Newcastle rail corridor being handed over to developers the current New South Wales Tory government uh, finally did what the developers had been 
pushing for, for for literally a couple of decades. They cut that train line. That was back in 2013. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the Labor-controlled council in Newcastle have followed up by voting to approve development on the corridor. So that will permanently block off what had been the busiest section of rail corridor in the second largest city in New South Wales, the Newcastle itself is home to about a quarter of a million people. The broader region is home to about 500,000, 600,000 people. It's the equal largest non-capital city in Australia, along with the Gold Coast. And yeah, they've blatantly cut the train line in order to hand that land over to developers. And this week, the Labor Party put their name to that, and it's shameful. Mm. So, yes. Uh, yeah, sorry to <laughs> sorry to bring the mood down there because there's uh, yeah there's good struggle happening, but uh, I was I was very disappointed when I heard about that. Yeah. All right, so Zane, you have something to share? Uh, well, just um, just another plug. We we're going to try and interview Luke from um, from Sticky Institute in the city. Uh, we haven't been able to get him. Um, I think Sticky Institute is a bit more of a gig that starts at midday and goes to the early evening so that's probably the hours that luke is working around but uh yeah just just a bit of a recap the new metro tunnel that's going through the city is planning to demolish part of the heritage listed campbell arcade that would mean evicting all current shops from campbell arcade and then demolishing multiple heritage listed shops you have until close of business today to register your concern about the demolition of vital Melbourne heritage and culture in the middle of the city. Uh, if you go to the Green Left Radio Facebook page, you can see it there. Or if you go to, if you look up the Sticky Institute on Facebook, they've got a link. It's metrotunnel.vic.gov.au forward slash planning forward slash have dash your dash say forward slash development dash plans. Uh, Metro Tunnel are arguing the demolition of the existing shops in Campbell Arcade is a trade-off for the refurbishment of the rest of the subway and therefore constitutes a positive heritage outcome. Mm. So Sticky Institute and other uh, the other small businesses in there, they do not agree. Uh, they would absolutely welcome certain improvements to the arcade, like installing wheelchair access, for example, but believe that removing a large section of heritage-listed public space cannot possibly be justified as an effective way of preserving it. The current proposal includes the removal of properties in Campbell Arcade that have a heritage legacy. This includes, uh, for example, the A Touch of Paris hairdressers, one of the last few remaining examples of post-war retail design in the city. Removing the premises for Sticky Institute would mean removing a volunteer-run space where rent has been subsidised specifically to help the growth of arts and literature in the heart of the city. It is the headquarters for an annual zine fair, which looks to host around 300 individual emerging artists and writers at Melbourne Town Hall in 2018, attracting visitors from across the world to the city centre. For Sticky Institute to find an equivalent size of premises nearby in the CVD, they would need to pay a rate of rent which is far beyond their means. Uh, so removing those resources to support emerging artists and writers in a CBD location would go against the values of a city with UNESCO's City of Literature status. And, yeah, so the proposed plans, as mentioned earlier, they, 
they include moving ticket barriers further down Campbell Arcade, so any remaining shops in the subway could only be accessed by my key holders. And yeah, Sticky Institute and others are saying that that heritage listed retail strip should be accessible without the requirement to pay for entry with your my key. Um, and previous plans show a connecting tunnel between Port Phillip Arcade and Campbell Arcade. Uh, that has a direct route that avoids the shops in Campbell Arcade altogether. They believe the removal of those heritage spaces in Campbell Arcade is therefore unnecessary and can be avoided by sticking with that original plan. So, yeah, get amongst it, write a submission, support Sticky Arcade and help keep some, yeah, cool grassroots artistic scene space right in the heart of the city there. Hmm. All right, um... I guess I wanted to um, give a bit of a report um, back, you know, last week I was talking about um, Donald Trump's kind of recent decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Mm. And um, since then, there's actually been some, you know, a lot of protests around Australia, including one on Wednesday night in Melbourne, um, which attracted, you know, over 600 people. Um, You know, there was very, you know, positive energy. You know, a lot of the Palestinian community came out. A lot of the Muslim community came out. um, And, you know, a lot of left-wing activists also came out and, you know, in support of Palestine self-determination and, you know, against the... you know, the injustice of um, that's con- dealt daily to Palestinians by the Israel state. Um, I mean, and on a funny note, um, uh, uh, Avi, what's his name? Some far-right... Avi Yemeni. Yemeni, yeah. Some far-right Nazi Zionist or whatever he wants to call himself. He apparently wants to get into parliament someday. Um, he organised a counter-protest against the Palestine... Um, um, against the Palestine protest and he only managed to probably get like 60 to 80 people or something and they were kind of like had their own corner in the streets um, and yeah, they basically barely, they couldn't they couldn't over num- outnumber the, the pro-Palestine rally which, you know, had them outnumbered in the, hung- in the hundreds. Hmm. Um, and there's more, um, there's lots of other protests happening all around the country. Um, there's going to be another one in, there's going to be one in Perth in, on Saturday, as far as I know. And there'll also be another protest um, this Sunday. Um, and there will be, um, in terms of other recent updates, there's also, you know, keep following the news because there's, you know, a lot more struggle around Palestinian rights happening, um, you know, across the world and it'd be good to, for anyone interested in, in that cause to follow what's happening to share it. Word. All right. Um, might play might play a quick... Getting close to 8 o'clock. So we'll play a quick announcement. It's going to be activist calendar time. Yeah, and we'll the do some activist calendar. Of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right. It's um, time for the activist calendar. All right, so now that it's getting close to Christmas, there's usually not as much um, stuff um, in terms of events happening, but there is a number of events um, happening, and that includes... um, We still encourage you to visit the web doc um, if you have any time, like today or tonight, to, you know, check it out, talk to the workers and talk to a number of the activists who are supporting um, the community picket, then, you know, I highly encourage you to go. Um... This um this tickets um oh it's web doc um seventy eight web doc drive yes 
But even if you just search WebDoc yeah. Melbourne in um, Port just Melbourne. Chuck it in your Google Maps. It'll, it'll give you the correct location. Yeah. Where all right, um, tomorrow at 11 a.m., um, there'll be a protest, um, a rally to save the Queen Victoria markets. Um, that is going to be on the Corner Ferry and Queen Street, um, which is the Queen Victoria markets. Um, just probably just go to where the, you think the Queen Victoria markets is and you'll probably find where the rally, find where the, um, where the large mobilization of people are. And, um, you can find out more. Well, we're going to be interviewing someone from that um, who is organising that protest um, in about six to eight minutes. So stay stay tuned for that for more information. Um, this Sunday, um, there'll be uh, there'll be a rally. Um, you know, following the the kind of um, the kind of police violence in the Flemington protest, there'll be a Black Lives Matter. Um, against um, protests against police violence in Flemington, and they'll oh, be I at, heard about that. and they'll be at Debney Park in um, in Flemington, near where all the um, public housing estates is. Yeah, nice. Um, it should have a range of community um, should have a range of community speakers. Um, the Greens will be um, have supported in uh, supporting the event, um, and so yeah, should be a great uh, good protest to go to and a good follow up from you know what happened um, hmm. last on. Monday. Fancy having a fascist meeting right in front of housing commission flats that have mainly, you know, got a lot of people of colour living there, refugees, people from other countries. That's disgusting. And then the cops going in there and chasing people down. Hmm. And anyway, and another thing that'll be happening is uh, there'll be an AD um, Australian Alfred Deakin Institute policy forum um, called um, Homelessness in the 21st Century Australian City. Um, that will have a range of academics, including um, a regular FreeCR um, presenter, Spike, from the Homeless Persons Union. Um, that'll be happening at 6pm this Monday December the 18th um, at Deakin Downtown, Tower 2, Level 12, 727 Collins Street in the Docklands. Um, to find, you have to book a tickets, but it's free. Um, but just search ADI Policy Forum Homelessness in the 21st Century Australian City. Um, and I think that mm, there might be a few other events as far as I know, but um, there's also actually a stop... Um, Westgate Tunnel protest. That's going to be at 11 a.m. on Sunday. Um, but the location I've kind of forgot. It's kind of slipped my mind. It's somewhere in Braybrook. Um, but that's in opposition to the Westgate Tunnel that the state Labor government is attempting to build. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that might be... Far as I know, those are all the events um, that are happening. As far as I know, I mean, some things to highlight for next year. Um, as far as activist events that are already that I already know that are coming up, um, there's of there's going to be. Oh wait, there's another thing here actually. There's actually um, kind of close by here. There's a fundraiser to stop the Adani coal mine. It's um, hosted by Festeru, hosts a number of house parties and in support of different causes. So this is going to be at 4 Mavelle Street in um, Fitzroy North. And I think the party starts tomorrow at um, 3 p.m. Wheel. And, yes, and there's also... Uh, trying to find what else. Oh, yeah, there's also going to be calf end-of-year drinks, campaign gets rationed in fashion drinks at the Queensbury Hotel next Tuesday. 
And yeah, I think that's pretty much it in terms of like, there might be a few activist events popping up, but as I said before, I think the main, real main thing to follow will will be the WebDoc community picket um, that needs all the support it can get, if, especially if it lasts past Christmas. Although at this point, I imagine the bosses are gonna will try and resolve it before Christmas, but let's hope by resolve it means resolved in favour of the workers and not necessarily the bosses. Mm. Um, of course, there's always that possibility they could try and send police to break up the whole picket line, but yeah. Well, if that happens, they better be ready for a bunch of community members getting down there to resist that. And um, just something for next year, um, there's going to be from Monday the 15th of January all the way to the Sunday on the 21st of January, there's going to be the Australian Student Environmental Network are going to be hosting a training camp, um, which will be kind of like have different workshops on, you know, activist issues. Um, This is going to be happening in Sydney. um, But of course, if you look on the ASN website, um, you'll be able to find out how to get there. Um, And there might potentially be carpooling and stuff organised with some of the activists from Melbourne who will probably be planning on going to that so yeah check it out um the asin training camp 2018 on our website cool mcgool also happening this weekend it's been happening this week and it continues uh tomorrow and sunday is the sampari 2017 west papua exhibition sampari exhibition and public events is a celebration of west papuan culture and the people's struggle for self-determination. Sampari runs from 8th to the 17th of December. Uh, check it out. Just look up Sampari Exhibition on Facebook. It, S-A-M-P-A-R-I. And, um, of course, also over um, the Easter weekend, there will be the annual Marxism conference organised by Socialist Alternative. Um, And they've actually, if you check their um, Facebook page, um, there's actually a number of guest speakers already confirmed, including uh, a Palestinian activist. And they also confirmed, although I have mixed feelings about her, uh, (laughs) Helen Razor is confirmed to be speaking. Mm. But that's, that's the spirit. I would hope of Marxism is that you have some, you know, various speakers from various points on whatever you call it, the left wing spectrum, and yeah, you don't have to agree with everything you say, and you can well, tell them that you don't agree to their face. But. Well, the thing about um, Helen Razor is she's written a book recently that apparently is actually good. It's like apparently like an introduction to Marxism type book, um, and it's apparently quite good. Mm. Um, although Helen Razor is always a bit quite interesting politically um she actually there's sometimes where she writes very spot on stuff um although it's kind of always masked in this sort of very intellectual kind of language um and then there's sometimes where you kind of she kind of goes on about nonsense um yeah just a bit of a gag she's almost sort of like a a type of like Slavol Zizek type kind of marks. It's almost like closest kind of equivalent, although there's less jokes about ideology, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, I think it's significant and cool that someone like Helen Razor, who's come from quite a mainstream sort of um, background as a, you know, as a famous presenter on Triple J for many years and, and on uh, Radio National, I understand, who's then, you know, seems like it's becoming more left-wing in her politics as time goes on and developing those 
perspectives. I, I think that's really cool, and it's mm. it's good that she feels um, comfortable to go and speak at Marxism conference, yeah, and, activist conference, know, yeah, be part of that discussion. It's really good. Although to be fair, um, he, she's probably speaking on it mainly to promote and sell her book. Anyway, I'm going to make a quick announcement, and we'll get on to our first and last interview of right, the year. Well, just, but, well, just before you do, um, I just went to the Sampari exhibition page. And the place you can check that out is at 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. So, yeah, that's that's still happening. This weekend is the last weekend. Go along, check it out. Support West Papuan independence and activism. All right. Um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio on FreeCR. Um, it's 8.12 a.m. And so in the sh- um, on the phone here, we have our first and final interview of the year. Um, it, her name is Mary Lou. Um, she is involved in the Save um, Queen Victoria Markets campaign. Um, and so we have her in the studio to talk about the upcoming rally that's coming this Saturday and actually where the campaign is kind of at this point. Welcome back, Mary Lou. Hi, thanks. Good morning. Hi. Um, yep. So can you, what can you tell us about what is the current situation um, with the Queen Victoria Markets this, at this point, um, especially in light of this ongoing campaign that is being done? Well, the situation we're in at the moment is that the council has submitted plans to dismantle half of four of the sheds, excavate three floors down under those sheds to put uh, trader facilities and uh, customer parking in the pit at the bottom. Um, Now, nobody has been consulted about whether they want that. The traders certainly don't want underground facilities. It's um, uh, logistically a nightmare for them having to bring up their stock. These are small family-run businesses. Um, So to bring, you know, have to leave your stall and go down underneath on in a lift and bring things up and then put it on a forklift and then take it to your stall. It's a logistic nightmare. Um, So these plans are before Heritage Victoria at the moment and... um, The Facebook page, Friends of Queen Victoria Market Facebook page, which I um, co-author, did a call to arms and got the Melbourne community to write submissions of objection to Heritage Victoria. An unprecedented number was submitted. And we're waiting now for the outcome, which will be in January sometime, as to whether the council gets approval to, to change our architectural heritage. Now, heritage is a really sensitive thing in Melbourne at the moment. After the downing of the Corkman pub, I think that was the tipping point. Mm. And make no mistake, when the, the council takes these these um, heritage sheds uh, down, which were erected in 1878, um, it will be a replica market. It won't. It, it, it will allude to its former self, but um, its heritage will be gone. The heritage at stake here is more than just physical, structural heritage. It's our social and, ca- and cultural heritage which is at stake. It's a meeting place, Queen Vic Market, where you can get cheap, affordable, well, not cheap, but affordable fresh food um, for the family, and it has traditionally been that. And it's for all says socioeconomic groups and cultural groups. So it's a very special place in Melbourne. It's the beating heart of Melbourne. And um, saving it's a pretty important thing. Mary Lou, um, do you, how long is it proposed that these construction works would take? Because I imagine a lot of those storeholders, 
it's not like they've got tens of thousands of dollars in reserves in the bank to just, you know, take a year or two off from stalls and then go back. I imagine a lot of those storeholders, if they get pushed out during construction, that's going to be it for them. They're going to have to find something else to do and, and won't be coming back. Would you? Is that... Absolutely. Look, um, <clears throat> the council has been... Uh, their strategy is to for an uh, attrition of the traders. So we've lost close to 20% of the traders already. They've been pushed out. Management has made it very uncomfortable. The rationale is to get rid of as many traders as possible. Um, they said they're going to erect this big glasshouse thing to um, relocate um, traders. They don't need to. If you go to the market, it looks like, you know, it, it, it's... Um, there is a lot of empty spaces there. These are small family-run businesses that are in jeopardy. The council says, look, we've got compensation for people who will be affected. Now, this, um, this redevelopment is going to be five years plus. Now, that's a long time to ask people to suffer pain. The compensation is really... People don't want compensation. They want the dignity of work. Jobs are important. You know, we talk about jobs all the time. And uh, people are being forced out. They want a smaller market. They want an event space. And um, it's going to be more a fast food corporatized um, uh, asset than mm. what we know today. Yes, businesses, small family-run businesses are doing it tough in there at the moment. And rents will go up. And so will the food because of the increased cost of overhead. Hmm. Yeah. You remember the electricity when they privatised electricity? Mm. And no, no, no. Our, 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 our electricity bills won't increase. Well, you know, we know the story there. The same will happen. And um, what can you tell us about, you know, since we last interview, um, how has the kind of campaign... Um, been going in terms of, you know, what kind of broad support have you been receiving and um, in terms of groups and organisations that have come on board for your campaign? Well, look, it's, um, it's mushroomed. It's happened, you know, the Facebook page now has a reach of 40,000 people. And we're saying to politicians now in this coming um, election year, they vote and the, the market matters. It's the heart of Melbourne. So, you know, I, I say to your listeners, think about that when you cast your vote. Who's supporting the market? We have community groups, um, resident community groups that are right behind us. We've got really high-profile uh, high um, um, Australians who have come out, people like Barry Humphreys, former Prime Minister Paul Keating, actor Sigrun Thornton, Paul Kelly, Phil Cleary, John Landy, Stephanie Alexander, Julian Burnside, former mayor of Melbourne, Winston McCackie. I mean, these are notable people. People love the market. It's, you know, when you think of Melbourne, it's the market. Imagine um, if you wanted to make this kind of change, the MCG, or other really, really loved, iconic places. People would be absolutely in outrage. Mm. Yeah, and, um, okay, so what can you tell us about um, this rally that's happening tomorrow? Well, the rally is, is an awareness rally. It's a protest against 
what the council intends to do without consultation, real consultation with the public, because it was given to the people of Melbourne for the purposes of a working market. Um, it's, we feel, my, my opinion is it's a land grab. In the 70s, they tried to take the land then. I think the local minister for the local government, Mr. Dick Hamer, pulled the plug on it. Um, then and it was community it was people power that stopped then i'm a great believer in people power and that's what the rally is for tomorrow show your strength the community does not want this they want to save the market they want to be consulted so tomorrow's rally will be a mixture of enormous fun um, with jerry connolly um great singer um dan sultan um Yes, he'll be singing, doing a, a stanza for us. Nice. Thornton, and also thought-provoking speakers, such as um, Professor Charles Sowine from Melbourne University from the Royal Historical Society, um, Phil Cleary, who has been um, a vocal supporter. Um, Phil's a writer and former independent member of the federal parliament. There'll be um, Dr. Joseph Toscano from the Tanaminaweit Malbohino Monument Committee, um, the NUW, and traders, and my good self. <laughs> yeah, cool. So um, it's going to be it's going to be short. It's going to be only one hour. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of fun things installed. I don't want to um, um, spoil it for people. And, of course, people can come along, bring their shopping trolleys, do their, their shopping, beautiful, fresh food. It's cherry season. Do some Christmas shopping and um, enjoy the ambience. And that's what the market is. It's, uh, it's a place of enormous ambience and, ambience and theatre. Hmm. So um, it should be great. But also thought-provoking. Hmm. Learn what's happening to our market. Hmm. And what we want for the market. It's a great place. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's that's what Paul it's a really Kelly special says. place. Yes, it is a special, and it needs good management. None of the management over the past five years, and we've had five CEOs in five years. What does that tell you about the management? None of them have had market retail experience. Having retail experience isn't enough. It's got to be. It's a special place, a market, and you've got to understand how markets work and how to work with and for the traders and for the public because it's a community asset. Hmm. And I'm afraid our management has been sadly lacking in that skill. Hmm. Okay, um, I guess that's... I hope that's helpful and I hope people come. Please yeah. come. It'll be great fun. Love to see you there. Love to meet you. Yeah. So do you have like any last comments you'd like to make? <laughs> um, well, be there. And also... Um, Look at um, Friends, of Face Friends of Queen Victoria Market Facebook page. It's a community page. Everyone is welcome to comment. And um, we, try, we provide the news of what's happening there without spin. We try and say it how it is. We get feedback from the traders. I'm there all the time. I've been a lifelong customer there. My father was a trader. It's in my blood. Um, I, it's a generational thing, just like... Um, the traders, you have generational traders. I'm a generational shopper. My dad was a trader. My kids shop there. My grandkids now shop there. So, it, you know, it's that kind of place. So 
So get onto the Friends of Queen Victoria Market Facebook page and have you say um, the and be part of the, the people power. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, good on you for uh, stepping up and, and being a, a voice and a, an organiser on the part of the community and, and the storeholders. It's, uh, it's really oh, good work, work that you do, Mary. Thank, thank you. I work with a great team of people who are believers just like me. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's uh, yeah, it's testament to the good work you're doing that you've got such a huge uh, social media following and uh, an all-star lineup tomorrow. So it's, uh, I reckon you'll get a good crowd in... Uh, yeah, it's it's really important what you're doing. So good good stuff. Yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, I'll be thank at that you. protest tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I look forward to seeing you there. Come up and say hello. All right. Okay, thank you so thank much. You. Thanks, Mary. Bye-bye. See see you tomorrow. Mary Lou. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, Mary Lou, check out the uh, Friends of Queen Vic Markets page on uh, on Facebook there. And uh, yeah. Here we are to uh, yeah, get more information. Check out the rally tomorrow. It's gonna be it's gonna be epic. All right, so we are nearly finished for the year, yep. for the for the day and for the year. Yeah, uh, beyond zero emissions are coming up soon, and we just wanted to announce what's going to be happening over this uh, Christmas uh, end of year summer period. Uh, so Greenleft uh, Radio Friday Breakfast um, is going to be passing the baton over for summer uh, to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, IPAN. Uh, they're having their national conference in... Uh... Oh, no, they had a national conference. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're playing uh, highlights and speeches from the IPAN national conference which was held uh, from the 8th till the 10th of September this year. So that brought together community and peace groups, trade unions, concerned individuals, community members, aiming to build better public dialogue and pressure for change and a truly independent foreign policy for Australia. Uh, So stay tuned and uh, there'll be discussions on the real costs for Australia of US militarism, terrorism laws and surveillance, the taboo of an Australian uh, independent of the US, military funding unis and the US lobby in Australia. So all uh, thought-provoking and and important stuff to be uh, aware of and and conscious of. Uh, So, yeah, check that out. And if you want to check out IPAN, uh, go to ipan.org.au. And we will be back in the studio on January 19th. So... Have a festive summer period. Stay cool. Yeah, and I'd like to thank all our guests um, that we've had on the program. Um, I'd like to thank Zane for all the stuff he's done in the program and oh. also Lali, who's not here today. Oh, I'll thank, thank myself for being thank here you, every Jacob. week. <laughs> oh, thank you, it's And been... uh, I think we've done. We've had a good team that, you know, has consistently put out some good program, good, you know, Morning, morning of um, Friday radio every every banging week. out some good content and thanks to all the other volunteer presenters at this excellent radio station 3CR and to the station staff who keep this place ticking along. It's uh, it's an honour and a pleasure to be part of 3CR. It's uh, yeah, it's a it's a special thing that we've got going on here. Yeah, and I hope um, everyone um, has um, holiday uh, a good holidays and let's hope a nuclear war doesn't happen between. 
<sighs> summer. So, yes. and then we, we'll be, and then we'll be back into the um, the struggle. Um, if it's going that way, if Trump wants to get all aggressive and aggro, <clears throat> keep an eye out. I'm sure there will be emergency protests. Get along to it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, stay tuned for Beyond Zero Emissions, and thank you again, listeners. Cheers. <laughs>